Let's open the Word of God, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll look at verses 8 through 12 this morning. And let's start by reading this passage. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. To sum up, all of you, not just James and Brad, but all of us, are to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, or you might say sisterly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For, and now we're quoting from Psalm 34, the one who desires life in its blessed fullness right now, we know we're going to heaven through faith in Christ, but how about right now? Uh, the one who desires life in its blessed fullness, uh, to love and see good days, which doesn't mean you won't see some very bad days in this world, must keep, and the Greek text says stop, must stop his or her tongue from speaking evil, from speaking wrong, and his or her lips from speaking deceit. That person must turn away from evil and do good, must seek peace and pursue it. That's the hard part. We all want peace, but we don't always pursue it and do the hard work to maintain it. For, because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do wrong. We're going to talk about the power of positive godliness, and you might even say this is the power of relational Godliness. We know we're supposed to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But boy, Pastor Larry, sometimes it's hard to love one another uh, as ourselves, right? Um, the church is a perfect laboratory uh, where we get to learn uh, to agape love, all kinds of flawed human raw material just like ourselves. It's not always easy to love the brethren. So we're going to look at the power a practical relational godliness in the Christian life is basically saying here, uh, Pat, believers, Pat Fleming, when she submits to the will of God by living a life of practical godliness, will experience physical and spiritual blessings on earth. So that's a, an interesting incentive we get today. Uh, it's not just enough to, uh, focus on heaven. By and by, we need to be living a life of relational godliness now. Let's pray uh, that we'll be teachable to God's word and that I won't lapse into bad Spanish after trying to speak it for under underpasses for the last couple of days. And as is our custom, let's pray also for our uh, firefighters and our peace officers. We're coming on the anniversary of their deaths, their murders in Baton Rouge and also our active military. And uh, Stan, uh, would you uh, pray for us in that direction, please? Let's say for a lot of help, okay? Uh, what a beautiful uh, thing to see. Uh, what, what does Cadence call you, Larry? Is it Papa? What, yeah, that's what I, they call me too, not not Cadence, but mine. So it's a beautiful thing to see Grandpa, Papa, to be able to baptize his granddaughter. And Cadence is really a beautiful little girl and really is a deep thinker. Um, I accepted Christ at age nine. I believe she's seven. 
But I kind of interacted with her when she was thinking about baptism, and she has a clear conception of who Jesus is and and how she put her faith in him to be uh, her Savior. Uh, You know, I like to warm up our capacity for abstract thought by doing something crazy and uh, before we dive into our meal here. And so you might call this uh, jokes that may make you think, but I know some of you, uh, probably Jack Smith, would prefer to call it jokes that may make you cringe. So it's kind of a joke alert here. A question, where was Solomon's temple? Answer, on the side of his face. See what I mean about the cringing thing? Why did Moses and the children of Israel cross the Red Sea to get to the other side? Why was Abraham such a smart man? Because he knew a lot. See, his nephew was named Lot. So he knew a guy named Lot. And then finally, and um, Michael and Anthony and I can relate a little bit to this. What is a missionary's favorite kind of car? Convertibles. Convertibles. We like convertibles on the mission field. Okay, the book of uh, First Peter has two parts uh, controlled by a purpose statement found in the middle of the book. The, where Peter is writing to people uh, where their faith is under fire. They've been forced by persecution to leave their homes, their jobs, their pensions, move hundreds of miles away from uh, where they're comfortable to get away from the bad guys. And he's basically telling them to hang in there and don't panic. And what he does first, you might call this Faith Under Fire 101, is review the basics of Christian faith and Christian works. You don't get a pass from those things, even when you're facing great stress and turmoil and problems. And we're just in the first portion of the second part of the overall body of the book, Faith Under Fire 102, which talks about submission. We're talking about submission under God to human flawed authority figures, including our human government and uh, uh, one another and in marriage. We really do, uh, both sides of the equation do a, a lot of submitting. And, and today we're going to talk about uh, in the church body, especially how we should submit for Christ's sake and such that we don't push our own agendas. We see uh, the glory of God is more important as me getting my way. Now here's, if you look at the top of that diagram, the uh, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, the purpose statement, Russell, which kind of guides and tells you what he's really getting at with everything else. He, he says, you guys uh, are not living at home. This is not our home. Heaven's our home in the presence of God. We've been designed for a person and a place, and that uh, place is not planet Earth as it exists now. But he says, and this is a paraphrase of those two verses, as spiritual aliens and short-timers on earth. And so Russell Ponder is a spiritual alien and a short-timer on earth, and Beth Brennan is. Hey, Beth, correct me if I'm wrong. We, we baptized you in that tank, didn't we? And Billy, right? Same week or no? You remember? Yeah. Did a two-for-one there that day, didn't we? Uh, as spiritual aliens, short-timers on earth. Carol Wander's in that category. Uh Natalie Bartling's in that category. Spiritual aliens, short-timers on earth. Even if you live to be 110, that's a short, short little blip compared to eternity. Christians, put your name in the blank if you've trusted Christ, should not be controlled by our emotions and our feelings. Let those be appreciators, not initiators. 
But we should consistently live our life centered on our Lord Jesus Christ, even if you have to lose and leave your houses and your jobs and your pensions and your culture, such that unbelievers who slander us, who may persecute us because of our faith, will see the reality of Christ in the way we run Johnny's Restaurant. And that's not an easy thing to do, is it? Um, and ultimately glorify God by coming to him in faith. So at a practical level, like this book is saying to Carla or to Olga or to me, keep on trusting and obeying the Lord who has saved you for all eternity because of his work on the cross. Keep on trusting and obeying him even when there doesn't seem to be any earthly reason because nothing's going your way and you're facing great uh, adversity there doesn't seem to be any earthly reason to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. we got five verses this morning, but they break down into just two parts. And uh, uh, it's kind of like things to do and then blessings that come if we will do them. We've got imperatives and incentives, commands and encouragement. And notice in verse 8, uh, Dr. Deeg, he says, to sum up, it doesn't mean to sum up the book, because we're just in the middle of the book. We've got a ways to go. But to sum up this section on submission, to sum up all of you be, and then he gives us this list of things to be in submission to the will of God and for the betterment of the body of Christ, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, and so on. Now remember, in context, we're talking about submission in the Christian life, and that starts... Submission can't be a bad concept because we're told that Christ went to the cross in submission to the will of God. God the Father is the author of the plan of salvation. So his submission makes our salvation possible. So you can't say submission is a bad thing. And it can't be forced. You can coerce people by force, but submission must be freely given. So Christ's submission for us is the foundation for all these different areas he's telling us to submit in. And he talked first about the importance that Christians submit to human government. Now, the rule is always submit to human authority, including human government, until or unless it's a direct sin to submit to human authority. God's always at the top of the chain of command in in our government, in our family, in our church. Uh, And so sometimes, as as Peter said, we can't stop preaching Christ. We've got to obey God rather than man. But Peter also says, as a general rule, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every kind of human authority. Uh, and people will go, well, I can't do that because none of those people in Washington, D.C. are Christians. You know what? Nobody running the human, uh, the Roman Empire this early in the first century are Christians either. You don't get a Christian emperor until 313 A.D. when Constantine comes to faith. Nero was not a born-again believer. Neither was Caligula, uh, Vespasian. Uh, none of them were. So because of Christ's submission for us and because of the will of God, we submit to human authority until or unless it's a direct sin to do that. Uh, we submit to our employers at work, even if they're not Christians, even if they use theological terms in non-theological contexts. Uh, last time we talked about submitting to our spouse. And today we're going to see submitting to the will of God by... Uh, being a certain type of thinker and doer in the church, and then we get this list of imperatives. So to sum up, now Russell, watch this. He says to sum up all of you, okay? This isn't a checklist so you can grade uh, Stephanie or somebody else in the church or some Christian you know at work. This is 
a checklist, uh, kind of a diagnostic list for each of us to apply to ourselves. This applies to everybody. Let's walk through this list. He says, as believers, in the church especially, but also outside, all of us are to be harmonious. Now, the New Testament Greek word there is homophrones. Homo means same. Phronos means to think. This could be rendered be of one mind. Be of one mind. So we can cooperate in a positive way with one another despite any differences we might have. And as they might say south of the border, this is muy, muy importante in La Iglesia. This is really important in the church. We're called to unity in Christ with one another in the big things of doctrine and morals. However, this kind of unity is not uniformity. We're not called to be clones of one another. Who in the world would want to be a clone of somebody like me? I mean, good night. Uh, I can remember about 40 years ago, this uh, fad went through the church, evangelical church, that said each one of us is supposed to have one or two or three spiritual science projects that we're always working on, uh, that we're trying to disciple them, make them our disciples. And some of us said, no. The Great Commission is not about making disciples of Billy Graham or Brad McCoy or uh, Kyleen Driggs. The, the New Testament says, make disciples of Jesus. We are to be disciples of Jesus who can encourage people to come to faith and be disciples of Jesus. But it's not us making disciples of ourselves. Beware of people trying to make disciples of themselves. Uh, so, yeah, we're supposed to have a unity in Christ, Anthony, but that's not a forced conformity. We're not supposed to become all clones of one another. Uh, but we are to be of one mind committed ultimately in our lives, including our operation in the church, to be uh, seeking to love God and to love other people. And and that means sometimes you've got to use the baptism technique, Pastor Larry, to get along with people in the church. Uh, when uh, you baptized Cadence, she held her nose, and you helped her lean way over backward. And a lot of times as you interact with people in the local church uh, to get along, sometimes you've got to hold your nose and lean way over backward. And that's what this is saying. Uh, to be harmonious in that way. Uh, this command is saying, when we think of ourselves and other Christians, especially in our local church, we, W-E, should always be more important than me, M-E. I think I made that up all by myself, but I, I haven't heard anybody else say that, but I like it. Uh, in the local church, in a good marriage, on a good team, uh, in a good work relationship at, at work, uh, we need to see we as more important than just me. And think harmonious is a nice translation of this word in this context. I'm not a singer, but when a great singer like Carol or uh, a James or somebody uh, sings harmony, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have two or more people singing different tones or different notes, but not in a way to compete, uh, but in a way that blends so you get something greater than just the sum of the, the parts kind of thing. And that's what he's calling for us to have in uh, the local church, including this local church, right? The second thing he tells us to do is all of us are to be sympathetic. And if you hold your place in First Peter, go to Romans 12. We won't wear this out today, but the section in Romans 12 uh, 
starting in roughly, I'll tell you in a second, um, the, kind of the second part of the ch- chapter, sounds very similar to what Peter's saying here. And I know Steve and I have been uh, talking a little bit about uh, some of the unique uh, content in First Peter, and it does come, a, come from a unique perspective, but uh, some scholars say Peter and Paul don't get along and don't kind of complement one another. Uh, they really do. And I'm thinking about Romans 12, 9 through 21, the second half of that chapter, okay, uh, is talking about the same kind of thing. And if you look at, uh, in regards to being sympathetic to one another, look at Romans 12, 15, the famous statement that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I've often said that prayer meeting can be dangerous to your spiritual health, Natalie, because if you've got a job where your boss is mean and nasty and you haven't gotten a raise in years and you come to a prayer meeting and uh, Homer or David or Dale or Ron says, okay, anybody got any praises? And the first person shoots their hands up and says, man, I just want to praise God for my job. I love my job. I got the greatest boss in the world. He's always telling me how great I am. I get so many warm fuzzies. I just got my third bonus of this year and he's promising a raise next month. It's hard for you to sit there. If you're the guy with the crummy job, the crummy boss, it's hard for you to sit there, Carlos, and say, praise God, that person has such a wonderful job. You know what I tend to do? Hey, Lord, what am I, like chopped liver? Why does she have such a good boss? I, I need a boss like that. Come on, hurry up. You know, do it. So this verse covers that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I think a lot of times we're better as Christians at weeping with those who weep than rejoicing with those who rejoice if what they're rejoicing about is something we don't have and we want. And that tells you you're 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 too self-centered. You're you're not harmonious in your thinking yet. You know, you're not of the same mind. Uh the word here to be sympathetic in the original is sympathes and it literally means suffer with. Suffer with other people. Uh, there's a difference between Really, sympathy, they've changed kind of the nuance in the recently. You know, sympathy is kind of a feeling for somebody. Empathy is suffering or feeling with somebody, really entering in, integrating with their suffering or their joy. And so this is saying rather than isolating or minimizing other people's issues, especially in the church, we need to be very supportive of one another and uh, sensitive one another. And some of the things people want us to pray about be some, if I if I had a problem like that, I would be so happy, you know, because that, what they're going to mention, they're concerned about, I, I think is simple. Unless had, why would that be a big problem? But some of the things that bug me, you'd think are simple. So it's very important for us to kind of put people where they are spiritually and when they honestly share. Well, I'll tell you, this is how dumb I was when I first went to the pastorate. When people would ask us to pray for their pets, I, I think I kind of grudgingly did it because I'm not a real good confronter, but I thought that is the dumbest thing ever. We got people starving, you know, in China, which my mother used to do that. When I wouldn't eat my peas, she'd say, people are starving in China. And I said, well, just put them in an envelope and send them to them, you know, because I don't want to eat these peas, you know. But, uh, yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm not a big animal lover. I mean, I do, I, I do really enjoy them fried, uh, mainly, but I'm not a big animal lover. And then God, who has a great sense of humor, ended up having us raise two St. Bernards separately you know, over a long period of time. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big pet owner and, and stuff, but some people are, and pets can really be an important part of people's lives. 
And, you know, for me, uh, I wasn't very sympathetic for a long time, and now I, I, I really am. I realize how important that can be uh, to people, and uh, I think that can be very pleasing to God. So let's be of the same mind. Let's focus on the same things together, even though we're not going to have complete uniformity, and we should not. Let's suffer with, let's integrate with those who are facing burdens or enjoying successes he says, all of you be brotherly, and I threw in the sisterly because I think it's hard for females to wrap around the concept of being brotherly. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. I have three sisters, and, uh, you know, Timothy talks about, uh, Paul and Timothy talks about, uh, relate to the women in the church like your sisters, and I think that's a great analogy because, uh, uh, you know, you, certain things you think about and do with your sisters and other things you'd never think about doing with your sisters. Somebody said, Back in college football when he had ties. Can you believe they actually had ties? Remember that 10-10 Michigan State Notre Dame debacle uh, many years ago? But they used to say, Tom, what did they say? A tie at the end of a football game was kind of like what? Kissing your sister. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we need to have, the, the word here is uh, uh, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. But it means, and this is related to be sympathetic, it just means to have a mental attitude uh, where we're freed up to seek the best, to build up other people, even if we don't like everything about them and don't like their tattoo or whatever it is, you know, there's something superficial like that. Now, we've already seen this in the book, and really all of these themes have already been touched on, but back in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Since you have, in response to the gospel, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, and when we use brethren like that, it's like hermano in uh, Mexico. Hermano is technically masculine, but when you talk to a group of people, males and females, you call them hermanos, even though that's masculine. It's, it's understood as generic. So that's the way that word is used in the New Testament. Uh, but fervently love one another from the heart with a sincere love of the brethren, of your fellow believers, right? Uh, let's go to uh, the fourth one. All of us are to be harmonious sympathetic, brotherly, sisterly. And now he says, all of you, all of you, not just me and James or uh, Kyleen or Dwayne, but all of us are to be kind-hearted. Uh, I, I love this Greek word. It's just fun to say. You splanknoi. <laughs> that epsilon, upsilon is pronounced you. And it almost sounds like a put-down. I mean, you could use that. You know, on the basketball court, you know, they kind of do trash talking with uh, the guy you're trying to guard. You splanknoi. It just sounds good, doesn't it? But it means, uh, but it means kind-hearted. So if you, you know, if they, if they get, they can't give you a technical for that because you're just being kind-hearted, you know, right? You splanknoi means being considerate as opposed to rude and selfish. And you you do this by putting the Lord first and then looking at or relating to others. Uh, we've been looking at Romans 12. Think about Romans 12 as a parallel passage. Let's go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And if I were, as you turn in there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Uh, Russell, I won't put you on the spot, but if I said, uh, you've heard you're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it's got to be blasphemy or lying or cheating or stealing, something horrible like that. Well, yeah, that would cover it for sure. But in context, here in Ephesians 4, look at what Paul connects to grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm looking at Ephesians 4, 29-32. Paul says, similar to the kind of thing 
Peter's saying here in 1 Peter 3, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No unwholesome word. Most of us talk way too much about other people. But only such a word which is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Need to know. Sometimes as a pastor, as a board of elders, we need to know certain things that are going on with people, but it's need to know, um, not just to titillate yourself. Uh, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, if we're talking down on people and all these sins of the tongue uh, are what specifically are said here to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm sure any sin in the Christian life grieves the, grieves the Holy Spirit. But don't let any unwholesome mouth, a word proceed from your mouth. In other words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit like that by whom you've been sealed. You're going to heaven. These are believers he's talking about who are using unwholesome language, uh, possibly uh, gossip or slander. We'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, whereby they're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now keep going. See how similar this is to what uh, Peter says. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, but the flip side, for every negative in the Bible is almost always a corresponding positive, usually in the same context. Let me say that again. For every negative in the Bible is almost always a corresponding positive, and usually in the same context. So guess what, Kay? Uh, you're not supposed to be bitter and angry and not supposed to slander other people, uh, put away malice in your speech and your thought. And how do you do that? You replace it with the opposite. Okay, Ron? Uh, I'm not talking about Ron Miller because he would never do that. I'm talking about Ron Norton because, you know, Connie told me about you. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sometimes people say, you follow me around. I say, no, I don't, except every other Tuesday. That's the only time I ever follow you around. Be kind to one another. That's kind of a general order. Tender-hearted. Now be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. There's kind-hearted again. Uh, forgiving each other. Why should I be forgiving of little slights and irritations people throw my way on purpose or not? Because of how much God in Christ has forgiven me, I ought to be forgiving the other people. Jesus tells a parable about the guy that is forgiven billions of dollars of debt and then goes out and beats up a guy that owes him $100. And it's like, how can you be forgiven billions of dollars and not cut this guy a little slack? It's amazing how petty some of us Christians can be, and I've been there. First Peter chapter 3, uh, he's saying all of us are to obey these commands. These are not options. These are required courses. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Uh, this is really at the core of the issue, I think, to be humble in spirit. Ta pi na frontes. Uh, this is a believer. Let's go back to Romans 12. Man, we're going to work out our fingers here. Verse 16. Uh, the one who's humble in spirit is so awed by the greatness and the holiness of God and so appreciative of the grace and the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ that they're not impressed by whatever talents and abilities and gifts and power and possessions they may have. Right? But go back to Romans twelve sixteen. Too bad James has just written his master's thesis. A good master's thesis would be uh, 
uh, a comparison of Romans 12 and 1 Peter 3, but I'm sure somebody's already done that. Uh, look at the last part there. Uh, I mean, verse 16, excuse me. Uh, he says, be the same mind together. Focus on loving God and loving other people. And do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. The, the Christian church, as you read about the New Testament, had a few rich people and a lot of poor people. Had a few powerful people and a lot of pitiful people. It had old people and young people and slaves and free and men and women, which was countercultural, wouldn't make any points in that culture. It sounds really good now. It's a, it's a good idea. And all these different kinds of people in churches of 20 or 200 or in the early book of Acts 3000, you didn't have uh, niche churches where only certain age groups or certain interest groups got together. It just wasn't like that. Uh, it allowed you to interact with people of different age brackets, different backgrounds, different social economic groups, different races, and the whole thing. So uh, don't associate. Uh, do associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That's so much of the essence of the Christian life. Because only if we're really overawed by God's greatness and holiness, and deeply appreciative of all He's forgiven us. Uh, can we possibly have the perspective we need to live a, a viable, uh, dynamic Christian life? I think, in a way, Anthony, it's kind of easy to do that, easier to do that in Mexico than it is here. It's weird, isn't it? In some ways, you know, they've, they've come, uh, uh, scientists figured out that doing under, uh, what do they call it, Ken, when, sp- when sprinters work out and run downhill, it's called under strength training, we, uh, the idea of swinging a heavy golf club to make your swing better may make your positions better, but it makes you slower. And so now they're telling you if you want to build up your your fast twitch muscle fibers to swing a golf club faster or a baseball bat faster, you swing a facsimile of a bat or a club, but it must be lighter. It must be significantly lighter because you can swing that faster, and it kind of warms up the synapses to swing faster. Swinging something heavier doesn't necessarily make you faster. And so I think, I think they applied that first to like Olympic sprinters. They, they figured out, the scientists figured out, physiologists, by running downhill, get some of these, can you imagine getting a, a guy who's running a, uh, what, a 9.0, 100 meter dash, having him run downhill where he's running at like 8.7, 8.5, it's just unbelievable. But it trains your, your brain to fire that fast kind of thing. And, uh, I think, uh, understanding the weight of all we've been forgiven, uh, allows us to be more forgiving to one another. When we're being very unforgiving, we're not really reflecting very much on all that uh, he has given us. Uh, look at the uh, very first part of verse 9. We call this verse 9a. The final command is, don't be returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Don't just respond to kind to people in the church. And that's this, that's my natural impulse, you know, fight fire with fire. But give a blessing instead uh, Warren Wiersbe is a very uh, practical commentator. Says there's three kinds of people, including three kinds of Christians: people who give evil for good. That's nasty. People who only good, give good to people who are good to them, and they give evil to people who are evil or unfriendly or unkind to them. And then there are people who give good for evil, which Jesus teaches in Sermon on the Mount. Peter teaches here. Uh, Wiersbe says the poster boy for giving evil for good would be Satan. Uh, I remember early in my ministry, I took Monday as my day off of the office, and I take Tuesday. 
But when you're a young pastor and, and people say, well, can I come talk to you? Or can we come, can you come do, help me on Monday? And you say, well, Monday's my day off. You, you get, some little old ladies will say, well, Satan never took a day, never took a day off. Like, you're, you, you take a day off? And I didn't know what to say to that, but one of my, uh, seminary, uh, uh, colleagues I was talking to about that once said, uh, there's two things you can say. When uh, you say, well, my, you know, I can't, I can't help you on Monday, but maybe Tuesday because Monday's my day off. Well, Satan never took a day off. What you should say is, well, I've never used Satan as a role model for my ministry. <laughs> so that's a good snappy comeback. Uh, another one that's good is, uh, well, Satan never took a day off. Yeah, but God did. <laughs> Seventh day, right? He rested, which doesn't mean he was tired. It means he was finished. Christ ascends to heaven, sits down. He's not tired. He's finished. The work of redemption, Austin, is completed. Everything that keep you out of heaven, Jesus died and paid for. And when you trust him for it, you get it. And he's not doing the work of redemption anymore. He's done with that. It's completed. Um, most people and too many Christians tend to give, be nice to people, nice to them, and nasty to people, nasty to them. And good for evil, which is what's called for here, that'd be Jesus and those who are really following his pattern as emphasized in passages like this. Okay, those are the commands, not easy to do. So we're going to need some maybe some extra incentive and encouragement uh, to do them. And so from the middle of verse 3, uh, verse 9, I should say, through verse 12, we get... Uh, you see that nice little... Isn't that awesome? Isn't this neat? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to look at uh, verses uh, 9b through 12 now, yeah. Uh, so much work, so little uh, result. Uh, look at verse nine b. For okay, now, 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 Meg, you know you're a believer. You love the Lord. Now He's calling you to be harmonious, sympathetic, sisterly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not responding in kind, but giving a blessing instead. Because one of the reasons God saved you is you could live this kind of lifestyle, and it'll make an impact on people, and so that you might be blessed. In certain ways on earth, you can't be blessed if you're not living it. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. That's just kind of a general statement. And he's saying, you know, as we uh, integrate and obey those commands that we just looked at, these relational dynamics, uh, we're right in the center of God's will, and there are benefits to that. Now, the book of Proverbs really emphasizes that God's way and his wisdom is not just right and good, it also is good for you, all other factors equal. Righteousness tends to make life better, whereas evil and sinfulness and selfishness tend to make it worse. In fact, Proverbs says, all other factors equal, the righteous, wise believer will tend to live a longer life life than the wicked person uh, believer or unbeliever. However, there are exceptions. You know what? If you're living uh, for the last 10 years in Syria or Qatar or Iraq or uh, Iran or uh, Afghanistan and you're a believer, your life, you're probably not alive now. I mean, the church in Iraq is nine, has been 90% killed or forced out of the country since 2003, March, when the war started. Uh, when uh, uh, so there are exceptions to this. Obviously, sometimes being righteous leads to persecution or leads to other things, and we're not bulletproof. Christians can get all the diseases and have all the same problems the world experiences. I think in part, so the world can see the difference. 
difference. But all other factors equal, and they never are, uh, the more wisely and righteously we live as a husband, the better we'll enjoy our marriage, right? Now, we all know that it only takes one person to total a marriage, and sometimes somebody can be a total jerk. And my nephew married a, a gal a couple years ago now, and after six months he found she was in the medical field, uh, he found out she had a whole bunch of boyfriends at work. I mean, she's totally totaled that marriage. It is possible. And he did nothing wrong. I mean, he's not ontologically perfect, but he was so dedicated to her and just literally broke his heart and mine since I officiated at the wedding. Uh, it, was, it was tough. His name is Andrew. He's doing really well spiritually now, but, I mean, he was then to, too. And she decided that wasn't cool enough for her. So beware of people who think spirituality is not cool. They can do bad things to you. But that's the kind of a general statement there. According... Uh, Obedience will produce blessings in our lives, and that I'd encourage us to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, sisterly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and more gracious than people deserve. Now, look at verses 10 and 11. We basically have practical restatements of the commands he gave us in verse 8 and the first part of 9. And this comes directly from Psalm 34. If I had more time, I'd tease some of the nuance out, but that's okay. Just look what he says in verse 10 and 11. For, and now he's quoting scripture, and the readers would have uh, figured that out, or probably maybe knew that when he wrote the, wrote the thing, uh, because they've been so familiar with it. Uh, the one, male or female, the believer who desires life in his blessed fullness, to love life, to have a life you can love, because you have no self-caused regret, regrets, no uh, 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 unforced errors, you'd say in sports, and see good days, must Keep, the Greek text says stop, must stop his tongue from speaking evil. We cause ourselves lots of problems with the way we misuse our tongue. And I'm no exception to that. And his lips from speaking, God must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Uh, turn away from evil, seek peace and pursue it. And the first thing on the list is refrain, stop speaking evil and deceit. Uh, number one. There are lots of things better not said at all. And uh, I, I don't tend to go to that uh, response many times, but the few times I've done it in a couple of important situations, it really helped pacify situations that would have spun out of control other ways. I don't have time to explain a couple of examples, but I'm thinking of some specific examples. Uh, somebody said uh, the difference between gossip and slander, uh, gossip and flattery, I should say, gossip and uh, flattery, would be gossip is if me and Lori are talking or saying things about Doug behind his back, we'd never say to his face, okay? That's gossip, right? A flattery. Now, you know gossip and slander sounds bad for Christians, but how about flattery? What's flattery? Flattery is a sin, too. Flattery, since we made Doug the bad guy, here's what flattery is. This is me saying things to Doug, nice things about Doug, saying to Doug things to your face I'd never say about you behind your back. So that's the difference, you know. Gossip is me telling Lori stuff about Doug I'd never say to his face. Uh, flattery is me saying stuff to Doug I'd never say behind his back because I don't really believe him. I'm just kind of buttering him up. So when you think about sins of the tongue, don't just think about gossip slander, also that that uh, flattery. Uh, I get the grade speeches at Cameron University, and you'd be amazed how much flattery I get 
flattery I get the week before all the major speeches. You're just the greatest teacher of all time. You're so nice, and you're a Christian, right? And I just think you're great. I love you, Dr. McCoy. And I'm going, man, she's gonna, she's got a clunker working, doesn't she? She needs all the help she can get. She's trying to butter me up. Um, I, I have three sisters. I know what uh, buttering up looks like, you know. I've seen it up close and personal. Verse uh, 12 is a kind of uh, doubling down on the idea that obedience to these kind of relational commands will enhance our lives now uh, on earth because obedience in these relational areas will enhance the quality of our fellowship with God and even help our prayer life. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, are connecting to and blessing the righteous person, and his ears attend to their prayer. If you've been praying more and enjoying it less, uh, maybe uh, you're not as harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble in spirit as you should be. That's one place to look. Isn't it interesting that when we looked at what uh, God's will is for husbands in the verse before this passage, look at verse 7 again, he said, he's talk, also talks about prayer. He says, you husbands, okay, Ken Wanzer, uh, in the same way, live with Carol in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, because she's a Ming vase and you're a tin can. Okay? Ming vase is worth millions of dollars. A tin can is worth essentially nothing without the soup in it, right? I guess t- Tommy, you know, Tommy takes aluminum cans, you know, uh, uh, at Dunkin' Iron and Metal. Uh, but uh, since she's a woman, and, and Ken, you're supposed to show Carol honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, as your spiritual equal, because otherwise your prayers will be hindered. So if Ken doesn't appreciate one of the best gifts God's given him, why is God going to be excited about answering his prayers and giving him other stuff he says he wants when he can't appreciate his wife kind of thing? So it's interesting. He's just commented on uh, godliness in marriage and effective prayer. And now verse 12, he's saying in relational practical godliness, if we get with the program, we're going to be in fellowship with God and God's going to attend to our prayers. And if we're uh, not submitting to those relational dynamics the way we should, uh, the opposite would come into play. For the face of the Lord is against those who do wrong, right? So what have we said here? Well, looked at five verses that said two different things, but I think we can sum them up this way. Uh, believers, put your name on the blank if you're a born-again believer in Christ, are commanded, all of us, to embrace a lifestyle of practical, relational godliness as the fruit of our salvation because it's God's will for us. And God's will isn't just an arbitrary social construct. It's holy, just, and good. And also because it will bring God's blessing on us. And before I close, I'd like to say, uh, look at that list on your handout there, especially under the uh, imperatives part. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, sisterly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Refrain from responding in kind to insults and irritations. And let me just ask you a question, kind of a thought experiment like Einstein did. Uh, what would your average Christian church like be like, uh, including our church? What would your average Christian church be like if for one whole week everybody in the church was harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, sisterly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, refraining from responding in kind to intended or unintended slights, irritations? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? 
How would that affect church feuds, church splits, church fights, uh, difficult board meetings? <laughs> how would how would everybody being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, sisterly, kind-hearted, humble spirit, not re- uh, refraining from responding slights and insults? How would that affect those kind of dynamics? Really good, wouldn't it? And so I would say when you read a passage like this, don't just think about all the people who don't do this in in your estimation. This is designed to be diagnostic data for you personally, for me personally. And I would say if you want to want a homework assignment over lunch, uh, ask yourself on a scale from 1 to 10, even on my bad days, am I a harmonious person? Uh, am I sympathetic? Uh, am I willing to rejoice with those who have a better job than me or a better boss than me? Uh, am I brotherly, sisterly? Uh, am I kind-hearted? Am I humble in spirit? Uh, and do I feel like I've got to slap anybody down that does anything I don't expect or I don't like? Uh, that could revolutionize your Christian life. It could revolutionize a lot of Christian churches. Uh, I see TBF as a very benign place, but I think we could all probably move up a notch or two on this scale. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this very practical input. Help us to wrap our minds and our hearts around taking this as a challenge and an imperative that you want us to be more harmonious and more sympathetic and more brotherly, uh, all of these kind of relational dynamics. And forgive us for some time thinking uh, we're very spiritual because we pray a lot, we read the Bible a lot, we go to church services a lot, and we can't get along with anybody in the church, but it's all their fault. And a lot of times we can kind of kid ourselves about the fact that if it's really hard for us to relate to other people, especially in the church, there's probably something wrong in us and our attitude somewhere. It's very possible. And so I pray you'd uh, you know help us to be very much aware of that and open to that uh, concept. Uh, thank you for the kind attention this morning. I believe your spirit has been teaching all of us. We give you praise for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.